always thankful of songs that remind me of God's goodness. It's not that I need to be reminded. It's just that it just feels so good to sing about God's goodness. That said, would you bow your heart with me, please, as I lead you in prayer? Father, as I unpack Scripture today, minister to each of us in a personal way that we feel literally like we're sitting at the feet of Jesus learning the Scriptures. I ask you this in Christ's name. Amen. I want to talk with you about a topic that I title, The Last Days. So open your Bibles to Matthew 24, and we're going to spend some time there. I have gotten more phone calls over the past six months about teaching on the last days and end times than any other topic. It's on people's hearts. It's on people's minds. Everyone's curious. What does the Bible say about that? I want you to know that the Bible does answer the question, how shall it all end? History progresses. History moves. When you read the Old Testament, you see the moving of God into the New Testament, even up to our day. In fact, in Isaiah 46 and verse 10, here's what Scripture says. From the beginning, I told you what would happen in the end. A long time ago, I told you things that have not yet happened. When I plan something, it happens. When I want to do, I'm sorry, what I want to do, I will do. So God is infinitely involved in history. He plans things. He does things. He acts. He moves. History is not about just us coming to some never-never land. That's not how it ends. There's specific actions and signs and indicators that the unfolding of history is occurring and is coming to a conclusion. In fact, we see that the disciples of Jesus were very curious about how the world would end. And they asked Jesus a number of times about, tell us about apocalyptic events. Tell us about the future. In fact, in one conversation, they asked Jesus, when Jesus said to them, looking at the temple there in Jerusalem, that this temple is going to be demolished. Then the disciples, they curiously asked him this question. Verse 3 of Matthew 24. Later, as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, his disciples came to him in private and asked, When will this happen? Referencing the demolishing of the temple. What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the world? Notice I highlighted two sections of that verse. What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the world? In other words, there are two big things when it comes to studying the end times that we need to wrap our minds around. One of which is, what are the signs, the indicators of the second coming of Christ? Second big thing is, what are the signs and indicators of the world in terms of the last days. Next week, we'll address the second coming of Christ. This week, today, I want to look at the last days. Now, I, 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 I confess, this is a very complex topic. A lot of moving parts. You can study the issue of last days, second return of Christ, for the entirety of your life. You can study it every single day for hours and hours and hours and still after decades still have a lot of questions. So it's a very complex topic. 
Whenever I come across complex topics and I want to really delve into it, I ask myself simple questions. So I'd like to then ask of the Scripture some simple questions about the last days in the hopes that we can have a framework as to how we can understand last days. So my first simple question is this. What should I know? And the Bible gives us a lot of information and some specific information about what we should know. And the reason why the Bible becomes specific on this, this, this topic of the last days is because God wants us to have a level of confidence that He has everything in control. Luke 21, let's capture what Jesus says to us. Verse 8. Jesus said, Be careful so you're not fooled. Many people come in my name saying, I'm the one. And the time has come. But don't follow them. When you hear about wars and riots, don't be afraid, because these things must happen first, but the end will come later. Then he said to them, nations will fight against other nations, and kingdoms against other kingdoms. Jesus is forewarning us of what we should know. He says, don't be fooled by speculations, teachings, philosophies, or actions of misguided leaders that try to tell us that they have this handle on how the future is going to be in terms of the totality of it, and that they, in fact, are the Messiah. What Jesus tells us is that we should know that in the last days, there are going to be wars between nations. There are going to be riots. And He's telling us, don't be afraid when you see these things. These atrocities are last day's activities. In fact, this chart that I want you to see it shows countries in 2021 which has reported armed clashes between state forces and or rebels. In other words, there are wars against nation and there is civil unrest that requires at some instances where the United Nations has to step in. Right now the United Nations has 12 peacekeeping operations around the world just to try to keep peace, armed soldiers that the United Nations support to make sure peace is taking place in different countries. These are, these are reflections of what Jesus forecasts that we should know. There's going to be unrest, not only nations against nations, but even within a nation, one faction against another. One civil unrest, one group fighting against another group. And it's reflection of one kingdom fighting against another kingdom. In fact, the, the, you know, we find that the Secretary General of the United Nations in 2020, March of 2020, Antonio Guterres, he made this statement. He said, our world faces a common enemy, COVID-19. The virus does not care about nationality or ethnicity, faction, or faith. It attacks all relentlessly. Meanwhile, armed conflicts rages on around the world. See, the Secretary General is saying, look, stop fighting each other. Stop fighting nations against nations. We have this global pandemic that requires all of our resources and all of our muscles to defeat. But yet, even though he made that plea, Nothing changed in regards to the unrest in countries and nations fighting against nations. Why? What Jesus is saying is that these are indicators 
that we should know about in regards to last days. In fact, Jesus also said in Luke 21 verse 11, In various places there will be great earthquakes, sicknesses, and a lack of food. Fearful events and great signs will come from heaven. So Jesus is telling us when you see this preponderance of earthquakes, this sickness that seems overwhelming, and we're seeing it with with COVID and other diseases, and mass starvation globally, these are indicators that we're indeed living in the last days. In fact, in year 2020, there were eight earthquakes globally that were of magnitude 7 or above on the Richter scale. There were 115 quakes between 6 and 7. There were 1,690 earthquakes between 5 and 6 on the Richter scale. There were 12,720 earthquakes between 4 and 5 on the Richter scale. In fact, this map only shows the, the most significant or the 20 largest earthquakes. When you recognize the amount of earthquakes, in fact, the Volcano Discovery, their site... VolcanoDiscovery.site that captures earthquakes globally, the size, the amount, where they happened. There were over 200,000 earthquakes that were, that, were, that were above, or I should say below, 2.0 on the Richter scale. 200,000. And those are not even the largest ones that I just cited. The point is, we're in the last days. Why do we know that? How do we know that? Just by looking at the amount of earthquakes that's, are, that's occurring globally. Not only do we see that, Jesus says there's going to be mass starvation. Another sign of the last days is a lack of food. Climate change and even COVID-19 pandemic has had a devastating effect on food shortage. When you think about that, food shortage, unrest that's taking place civilly and nations among nations has caused a global migration of people to try to go to find someplace else to live where they can get food or they can have peace. In fact, we see 84 million people globally as of November 11, 2021, that the United Nations Refugee Agency cited are looking to go, or I should say started migrating from where they've been living to go and live somewhere else or find somewhere else to live. Why? Because they're going through starvation, lack of food, lack of peace. And so Jesus is telling us, if we're studying the last days, we must ask ourselves this question, what should I know? And these things I just cited, I don't want you to be fear-driven. I just want you to know that Jesus says this is, in fact, the last days in which we're living in. I mentioned that when I'm studying complex topics like the last days, I ask myself simple questions to try to wrap my mind around it because of the complexity and the nuances of the topic that morphs and shifts. And the next question I ask myself is, what should I believe? When studying the last days, what should I believe? What should I believe theologically? What should I believe philosophically? What should I believe in how I conduct myself? What should I believe? When I see all these global catastrophes, what should I believe? Should I just run amok and throw off all kinds of caution and live in a wild, undisciplined way? What should I believe? Peter says this in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 3. 
It is most important for you to understand what will happen in the last days. People will laugh at you. They will, live, they will live doing the evil things they want to do. They will say, Jesus promised to come again. Where is he? Our fathers have died. But the world continues the way it has been since it was made. Peter stressed the importance that, of what we should believe living in the last days. He says, look, as Jesus followers recognize when you're living for Jesus, people are going to laugh at you. And they're going to laugh at the paradox of you being calm and cool and collect when all these catastrophes going on and you having a sense of hope when they have no hope. And so Peter says, when this happens, don't be alarmed. In fact, you may say, well, people are not laughing. Oh, yes, they are. It's so subtle, we don't even recognize it sometimes. One way people jeer at the Bible's forecasting of the end of the world is by throwing wild parties that they call the end of the world party. And this is not just happening here in the States. It's in England and around the world. We find thousands gather to be able to celebrate, quote-unquote, end of the world. Some of them, they describe it as beer and booze or booze and, 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 and bust. They talk about, bust means a woman's breast. They talk about just living wild, drinking, smoking, doing all kinds of wild, undisciplined things. Why? They're saying there's no hope. In fact, if you don't want to travel to England for an end of world party, Snoop Dogg threw an end of world party back in 2012, this famous rapper. And he titled his party, The End of the World Party. I want you to see that these kinds of parties and expressions, they're ridiculing and jeering and as if it were mocking the biblical narrative and the Christian faith that says the world as we know it will come to an end. History moves. It unfolds. It, is un it unravels. It moves towards a conclusion. And the conclusion is not that it vanishes and becomes nothing. The conclusion is that there's a return of Christ and indeed a judgment day when everyone's going to have to give an account as to what they did with their life and how they addressed who Christ is. I suspect that the jeering that Peter forecast, it's really a sign that of jealousy. The irreligious oftentimes they're envious, they have no hope. They're jealous of the fact that they don't have answers. And we have answers. They may not seem plausible to someone who doesn't know any better, doesn't believe. I myself, I used to be an atheist. For the first 20 years of my life, I was an atheist. And I listened and, and supported the views of Aristotle and Plato and Socrates and Immanuel Kant and, and Dante. These mystics looked for answers in just philosophical musings. And the more I read their works, the more I recognized that they too were empty and searching. And may I suggest, if you've been searching, and you recognize based on the signs of the times that we're indeed living in the last days, what will you do about it? Do you have eternal life insurance? If you died today, where would you go? Where would you spend eternity? And you, if you say, I don't know, or I think I'll go to heaven, or... I know I'm going to go to hell. Any one of those answers, at the end of my teaching, I want to give you an opportunity to not only have a different answer, but to have an eternal security that you are 
Your name has been written down in the Lamb's book of life. God's registry of those who will spend eternity with him in heaven. Jesus came into the world to save you and to save me. We don't have to live in a kind of way where it's precarious and devoid of hope. Jesus tells us that he is in fact the light of the world and he is in fact the answer that we've been searching for. So I want us to recognize that when Peter is posing the question as to what should we believe, Peter is helping us understand that we should not allow ourselves to believe all kinds of weird, paradoxical, unbiblical, unscriptural, theological views. There's an anchor that comes in your soul when you trust in the validity and the authority and the accuracy of the Word of God. In fact, Jesus went on to say, in Matthew 24 and verse 9, talking about the end times, you'll be arrested, punished, and even killed. Because of me, you'll be hated by people of all nations. Many will give up and will betray and hate each other. Many false prophets will come and fool a lot of people. Evil will spread and cause many people to stop loving others. But if you keep on being faithful right to the end, you will be saved. Jesus is telling us, don't throw away your moral boundaries. Don't throw away your ethical disciplines. Don't throw away your theological views steeped in Scripture that shows you how to love and how to live. Do you realize that even the cancel culture, where people just cut you off for any reason, they just cut you off. And it happens even in the church, sadly. Someone doesn't like a verse that you quote. Someone doesn't like something that you said. They cut you off. Why? It's an indicator, Jesus is telling us, of the last days. People's unwillingness to love you even when you may have a different view. So I must call to your attention that what shall we believe about the last days? We shall believe that these things will occur. But don't fall prey, P-R-E-Y, to these things. We must recognize what God is calling us to do is to be students of Scripture and let the truth of Scripture anchor you deeply into Jesus so you don't become someone that is a castaway or you fall away and you lose your sense of spiritual objectivity and clarity because you got caught up with the culture in which we live. And Jesus is telling us, don't let false prophets mislead you. Do you remember back in 2011, the late Harold Camping was the president of Family Radio Christian Network. He established a campaign to warn America and the world that on May 21st, 2011, that's Judgment Day, the rapture of the church. So Peter, Paul... And Jesus made it plain, no one knows what day Jesus will return. But yet Harold Camping, he said he knew the day. And so he spent a lot of money, millions of dollars, and telling people, warning people, May 21st is a day, get yourself together. In fact, some followers of Camping's date-setting practice sold their homes and permanently altered their lives so that they can drive around and warn everyone that May 21st, 2011 is Judgment Day. I want you to realize that that certainly was a false narrative, false prophecy, 
false prophet, and we ought not to follow anybody that gives us those kinds of predictive dates about the return of Christ or judgment day. And I love what Jesus said in John 6 verse 39. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. What a hope to know that Jesus says, when you give your life to me, you're in my hand that I protect, and I will lose none of those that God gave to me, or which means that responded to God's great forgiveness I will lose none of those. Now, when we see of people and hear of people like what Harold Camping did, we have to question, did these individuals really, who followed him, did they really know Christ? Were they really cemented? And so what I always tell people is this, if you want to really grow and be protected, stay in the Word of God. Give yourself over to serious Bible study and not flitter about and turn off deep growth that takes place in you understanding the Scripture. Second warning I give people is this. Stay engaged in a local church community that's Bible-centered. You know why? Knitted relationships is a safeguard for us. And if you stay involved in a knitted relational way in the local church, you'll be so secure and you'll be safeguarded from getting caught up with false doctrine and false prophets. In studying the last day, we must ask ourselves these questions. What should I know? What should I believe? And my third simple question is this. What should I do? What deliberate action should I take? What can I control even though so many things are beyond my control? Jesus answered the question in Matthew 24 and verse 14 when he said, When the good news about the kingdom has been preached all over the world and told to all nations, the end will come. Jesus is declaring that we have some input in how the world and history progresses to come to a conclusion. Jesus says, here's what you must do. Preach the gospel locally and globally. So that means get the word out. Share Christ with your friends. Share Christ with your family. You have, the, you have to see there's an urgency for people to come to know Christ. Think about it. If you're a Christ follower, someone shared Christ with you. They cared enough about your soul, your well-being. And at first, you may have been irritated by them talking to you about Jesus. At first, you may have been perturbed. At first, you may have not gotten it. I was in the same situation. When they started talking about Jesus, I said, I don't need that. That's for weak-minded people. But as time progressed, I started to wrestle with the idea, is there a God? And if in fact there is a God, does He love me? What does He want from me? And when I came to the conclusion on July 6, 1984, 10 p.m., I recognized that the answers to my question was simply this. There is a God, and He wants relationship with me. And that's when I invited Christ to be my Savior, which I'll give you an opportunity to do at the end of my teaching. But I want you to see an answer to the question, what should I do? Jesus says, preach the gospel. We also see the Bible answers the question in a different way. In Acts 2 verse 17, Luke writes, God says, in the last days I'll pour out my spirit on all kinds of people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. 
Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. So here is what we should do. We should have a great expectation for Holy Spirit outpourings. We should have a great expectation for the Spirit of God to visit people in ways that are so unusual and maybe paradoxical to our natural mind and thinking. God is indeed a supernatural God, and He knows how to get in touch with anybody, anywhere, at any time. I was speaking in Michigan, one of the remote areas, on a television studio, and they had a prayer center. And the director of the prayer center said to me, he said, David, we get lots of calls from people in the Muslim world. And when they get on the phone, having watched our broadcast, and they invited Christ into their lives, they know that if the word gets out about their conversion, they may be killed, they may be ostracized by their family. And so when they call us, they're whispering on the other end of the phone. And they're whispering this request, please pray for me. I just saw a vision of Jesus, and I know that He's the way. I want you to see that is an indicator of Acts 2.17. In the last days, God's pouring out His Spirit upon all kinds of people. You would not even imagine that God's doing that. I remember when I was preaching in Kenya, a woman gave the testimony that her father was a witch doctor. And all of his friends were witch doctors. And one of the witch doctors, trying to put some kind of, 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 some type of curse on someone, had a vision of Jesus. And the witch doctor repented of his dark, satanic ways and gave his heart to Christ. And she said to me that, she said to me that, David, you should have seen when that witch doctor started to share his faith with others, his friends, witch doctors, and to see a bunch of witch doctors give their lives to Christ. What am I saying to you? I'm saying that there are times we don't have answers. But oh, the Spirit of God, because God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. What should we do? We should create expectation that the Holy Spirit is up to something big. I love what Jude said in verse 17 of that one chapter book. But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. So we see the scoffers, those who try to divide us, the, the things that we should do, study the Word. Become well-rooted well and grounded in Scripture. And you can refute all the scoffers and all those that try to dis dissuade us and mislead us. When I continue reading in Jude, verse 20 says, But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. I'm answering the question, what should we do during the last days? Jude tells us, pray in the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? Pray in, a, in alignment with the Holy Spirit. Pray in symmetry with the Holy Spirit. Pray the very words of Scripture that the Holy Spirit says we should pray. 
And it also means praying your heavenly prayer language. If you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit and received the gift of diverse kinds or different kinds of tongues, pray in your heavenly language. And when you do that, that's praying in praying with the Holy Spirit and praying in harmony with the Holy Spirit. I want you to see what should we do in the last days? Pray in the Spirit and pray in your known language. That's what we should do in the last days. I love the comfort that Paul says we should have in answer to the question, what should we do in the last days? Romans 8 verse 18 tells us, Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory He will give us later. Paul is saying, you're going through tough times now. It's the last days, wars, earthquakes, what the sociology and psychologi psychologists and sociologists call wicked problems, problems that are intractable, no solutions. Every solution creates a new problem. And that's what happens with global warming, with poverty, with racism. All those are wicked problems. Even the issue of the food shortage, wicked problems. And what does Paul say? Paul says, there is a greater glory coming. And so we should just fill our hearts with the hope that the pain that we go through now, it doesn't even compare with the glory that it will follow. A lot of women can attest to that. The women have an advantage over us men. Because when they were carrying a baby in their womb for nine months, and all the discomfort, the baby kicking, all kinds of cravings of food, and, and they can't sleep on their left, can't sleep on their right, can't sleep on their back, can't sleep on their stomach, can't sleep. And then, oh, the feeling of euphoria when that beautiful baby is born. It's as if all the pain that they went through, it pales in comparison to the beauty of that baby as they hold him or her in their arms. Jesus says, I want you to know that as you go through these last days and experience suffering and, and even the pain of not having answers to deal with all of the major atrocities, rest assured, when you're in my arms in heaven, the pain of the last days will be even forgotten because of the beauty of the glory that awaits you. May I ask you this question as I close? Where are you in regards to your relationship with God? Have you experienced His great forgiveness? If you have not, would you pray with me now so that Jesus can record your name in God's registry as someone who will be a guest in heaven for eternity when you die? Would you pray with me now? Repeat after me these words of prayer. Would you bow your heart and pray these prayers? Pray this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, I don't want to guess anymore as to where I will spend eternity. I need to know that I'm spending eternity with you. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Wash away my sins. Change me. Help me to live for you every day of my life, starting right now. I ask you this in the name of Jesus, my Savior. Amen. Congratulations. If you just prayed with me, you are now what the Bible calls saved. Another passage calls it being born again. You've been transformed. I want to help you 
by answering some questions you may have. Would you follow the prompting on the screen? And we'll give you access to information that can answer your questions and help get you anchored in your new relationship with Jesus Christ. God bless you. I look forward to our growing together during these last days.